in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone. And with me, as always, as your co-host, Andy Hard. <laughs> Turned into strong man there. Come on, bu- Bunk Funkers. Come, Come on, on Bunk, bunk Funkers. <laughs> Push it to the limit. You got to listen to the podcast. I told my friend Joe. I told my friend Jack. They said, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> God, I miss stuff like that. Don't you miss Homestar Runner and things like that, Andy? Oh, God, yeah. I miss when there used to be funny things and nothing's funny anymore. And the world's so sad and void of humor and there's nothing to enjoy. Not especially this podcast. It was things like that, Andy, that used to make us smile. But today, mm, well, we might prove to you that maybe smiling faces aren't always so happy. Normally, when you see a smiling face, especially on a plastic bag, you think there are some groceries or possibly some takeout inside of this bag. Well, next time you see a smiley face, you might think somebody died here. You're seeing a smiling face. You're looking at the smiling face and you're saying, I like that. Yeah, okay. You're welcome. Thank you for giving me this bag. This is great. Oh, wow. Thank you for visiting. You're welcome. You go to the Fortress of Walmart. You see the smiling faces everywhere. You go, oh. Rollback prices. Rollback prices. Oh my god, I'm about to roll back my pants and start jerking it in the aisle because these prices are so good. <laughs> but today's topic, Andy, the smiley face killers, they're they're flipping the smile on its head, making it an anti-smile. Some might call it a frown. It's an upside down frown. It's an upside down frown. The smile is just an upside down frown. And um a, a few things of, uh, like up the top. First of all, this topic is uh suggested to us from a Exquisite bunk funker. Yes, uh, this is one of our our beloved bunk funkers, our proud patrons. Right. Uh, this episode uh, comes to us suggested by none other than Meme um, King himself. Meme King himself, multi episode requester. I, <laughs> I guess multi episode right suggester, a very prolific suggester of episodes. John King Paul, the peach shitting shark thing, Hendrix. <laughs> I can't believe you remember that. That's amazing. That's right. Thank you, John. Uh, this is a great topic. Um, and this is basically a a unsolved mystery uh, akin to 411. And Andy, uh, very exciting. Uh, first for us, Bunk Funkers, before we give you the timestamp, just be forewarned that uh, we got some special guests actually to come in and record the entire script for us. Yeah, this Pretty is incredible. A, yeah, this is a crossover episode with... Uh, a new show that's going to be on the Investigations Discovery Channel called Piss, Private Investigator Solving Stuff. Um, 
so you know this is kind of a kind of a little cross promo type of deal you know we love to have guests and we love to be guests and this is one of those those times where you know funny enough these these detectives have the exact same names as us and that it's wild right it seemed like a natural fit for us to have to have the crew at piss do the research right. for this because they're the experts. They're investigative. So we're experts. taking a little bit of time off here, and we're yeah. going to let the detective or the the fellows over at Piss take the helm on this episode. Yeah, this is really our dream come true: is right. to just bullshit with yeah. you, and while someone else does all the actual work. So, Bunkbrokers, if you can't wait to get to hearing about Piss and uncovering the mystery of the smiley face killers, if you can't wait to dive in with Piss, jump right into Piss and see what it's all about. I mean, check shower the yourself stamp. with Piss. Yeah. And uh, check the timestamp in the episode description uh, to get right to it. I mean, it. look, these guys, you know, they're just getting started out. They're a little rough around the edges, but I assure you they are solid gold to the core. So just check the timestamp. <laughs> right. Um, and you can piss off right to the... You can piss right off. Right to the piss part of this, you know, just piss play on this just episode. piss play on the episode and enjoy. And open your mouth and close your eyes. Open your mouth, close your eyes. Here comes the big surprise. It's piss. Private investigators solving stuff. So, uh, but first, Andy and I, we got to uh, tell you about our lives in the bunker. Oh, my God. We got a fucking rocking ass. Woo! Time this week, Bunker. Woo! We decided to go full-on friggin' Partridge Family. We started a family band. Yeah, we saw this new Willie we Nelson album band. where he's doing the family band thing. Mm. And we were like, you know what? He's 90. We're better than him. And yeah. we can do it better. Because I'm at least... Close Willie to Nelson 90. is such a loser. What kind of loser names their guitar trigger and it's not actually a gun? <laughs> Hello, Walls. Here's my freaking head because I'm a dum-dum. <laughs> All of our instruments in our family band double as guns. Right. Yeah, we have... It's a real sonic underground type of situation. That's right. Where all of our instruments are also weapons. Um, when I say I'm playing the axe... Yeah. I mean, this is a streltsy. This is this is a gun that I can also use as a melee weapon. Right. But it also has a clean tone. It has a clean tone. Um, we started Sounds a beautiful. family band. We, we have this big family. Mm. We're daddies. We're daddies. You we might got... have forgotten that, but we didn't. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you can't remember what's going on in our lives, Bunkfunkers. This is kind of insulting a little bit that we have to remind you every week. But we are daddies. We have a family. We are raising our teenage uh, undead adult Sasquatch, our teenage undead Sasquatch son. Yeah. Ooh, it's a word salad in my head. And I'm tossing my salad. Yeah, someone's tossing Andy's salad. So we have our teenage undead Sasquatch son, Peon Musk, and we also have adult baby David Crosby, who is the light of our lives. That's right. And you know what? We said we could do the family band thing better than anybody else. Now, of course, um, Peon, we put him on drums. Mm -hmm. Big, he's strong, keeps a good rhythm. He's a lot like Animal from the Muppets. Right, he likes to hit stuff. He likes to hit stuff. Um, he has very little body control. He screams a lot, so he looks good back there. He's he's right. channeling Keith Moon now. David Crosby, we put him on rhythm, and rhythm only. He's not allowed to lead. Not allowed to play lead. Not allowed to play lead guitar. Um, we put him on rhythm guitar only. He's not ready. He's a baby. Give he's him baby. some time. Mm -hmm. He's not ready for lead. Now he's... I have to say, David Crosby is exceptionally gifted for a baby. Oh, of course, at playing guitar. Right, and. I mean, imagine how good he'll be when he's an adult and can actually do a good job. It, you know, because right now it's very, you know, it's just plucking out some chords. But, I mean, real rudimentary stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, whole, not whole much half, imagination. Whole, whole half. Yeah. I mean, it's there's nothing. I mean, you can tell, like, he's got the good building blocks, but he just doesn't right. have a lot of flair or flash. 
And I would love to see him develop his style a little more right. and actually become pretty competent. With and, you guitar. know, he's like, he, you know, he's just a bit like he can't really mouth words. So we can't have him also joining on vocals because he's like, you know, he's saying all this like this baby talk where he's like, well, we should use the circle of fifths. And if we're playing in this major key, we can actually bring in, you know, he could, we could we could bring in like the, you know, the uh, the the, the uh, from the minor uh, pentatonic scale that matches this major scale and we could like bring in the fifth root note here and play this chord here to make a nice change that sounds tonal and it's like goo goo gaga like oh my god this baby talk it's like what are it's you talking so funny. about it's like you leave the tv on and they yeah, pick up all these words but they don't really know how they to don't use know what them. they mean yeah they just like to say words and they don't really know what it means speaking of word salad yeah <laughs> i guess david Crosby, maybe david crosby's getting his salad tossed too no yeah so um but then you know um well we both, I mean, obviously there's some contention here. It's uh, Andy and I both wanted to be, to be the lead guitarist and lead vocals. Um, kind of the most badass position in the band. The one who gets all the sexy ass chicks and cool ass groupies and dudes and all the roadies mm -hmm. want to hang out with. Um, so like, you know, I mean, Andy and I, we got, uh, you know, obviously neither of us were going to play bass. <laughs> <laughs> fucking bass i mean come okay. on okay i don't need to be forgotten in yeah. the band it's my fucking family i want to fucking play lead i want a more phallic position i want to yeah. put my foot up on the monitor and then go strum right down by your hog yeah, yeah and hump the air and do cool stuff with my head and my hair right i want to lick the guitar neck i don't want to be listening to the drums i want to hold the guitar like it's my dick and stroke it you know so we had some different um you know styles like obviously i showed up to family practice dressed as a little schoolboy, very angus young style um you kept saying my shorts were way too short you had I a problem with i think these were i don't think they were shorts i think this is the problem you didn't wear shorts you were just wearing briefs you were wearing brief underwear well, I'd like to see you try to prove that. I don't think you could. Um, just because they look like, just because you bought them from that specialty store no, that, well. that sells that sells male schoolboy uniforms, but like lingerie version, it doesn't mean that it's actual shorts. I've seen ACDC. Their shorts aren't that short. Well, you know, I wanted to kind of have a look. Everybody, every cool lead guitarist has a look. Yeah. And so I wanted mine to be sexy schoolboy. And I dressed up like I was in Guar. <laughs> I, I had, you know, you of course we're stinkus pinkus. <laughs> yeah, I, I had this, you know, huge battle armor on. Right. Um, you know, I was wearing a Halloween mask, uh -huh. Richard Nixon. Yeah. Um, I dyed my skin orange. Uh huh. You had like painted abs on yourself right. and like. You know, you had um, all these like spiky bracelets and things mm -hmm. and your guitar was actually like literally was an axe. Right. Uh, that you converted into a guitar. Right. And, you know, of course, we had differing ideas about what the musical style should be. Of course, I wanted to be very acoustic. And so I had this acoustic axe that I had. Uh, meanwhile, you were like full on electric. Right. It was a struggle. And so eventually we came to the, you know, uh, the kids kind of sat us down. This is a family band, and mm -hmm. they remind us this is a family band. Look, number one thing about being daddy's bunk funkers right. is even though you're in charge and your dominance is known, yeah, 
you sometimes need to listen to other voices. Your kids have a voice too. And it's your job to know when and when not to listen to that voice. Right. So, you know, you, you, you know, when you should include them and when you shouldn't. This is right. one time where we did, because this yeah. is a family band. This is a family band. So we said, all right, we'll give up lead vocals. Annie mm-hmm. will just be code lead right. guitarist like Thin Lizzy, or I think Iron Maiden does that as well. Mm-hmm. So two guitarists, two lead guitarists, no bass, fuck bass. Um, and then drums and rhythm. Right. So we started auditioning some people for lead vocals. This has been, this is where we're at. We have not played any shows yet. Mm-mm. We are tr- still trying to find a lead vocalist. We've had a lot of different people come in. Um, yeah. I mean, we, you know, one of our first, one of our first auditions, mm-hmm. um, that we had was Adam Levine. And, you know, yeah, Maroon Five more like Moron Five. This guy is not bright. <laughs> well, I didn't want to go there, but yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, voice of an angel, but not very intelligent. Couldn't he didn't be in the family band. He didn't get the idea behind the whole band, right? Um, and he wasn't getting it. Yeah, he wasn't getting it. So he sang fine, I guess. Yeah, I mean, whatever. You know, he's limited. I could do that too if I also did vocal warm ups and took, um, you know, proactive. Right. But this is au natural, and I smoke a cigar every day. First thing in the morning before I have anything. If to you, I mean, that's the thing about being in a family rock and roll band is that like, sometimes you're going to be out and about and the music is just going to hit you. Right. And you're going to need to sing and dance and you can't, you don't have time to prepare. No, no. It's you a gotta, family band. You got to be ready at the drop of a hat. We're all driving around in our, in the Shagula. And so it's like, like, you know, you got to be ready to sing at any given moment. Yeah. Adam Levine. Yeah. I mean, so we told him to fuck off. Yeah. We told him he could get the fuck out of here. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, Adam Levine. So then, of course, Blake Sheldon comes in because he heard Adam was doing it. Yeah. I mean, fucking Blake Sheldon. Oh I my mean, God. get an original idea, man. You don't have to do everything Adam Levine does. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. So he came in and it's like, huh. you know, he did his audition and it's like, Jesus, Louise. Uh, you know, I can see why you're more respected as a songwriter now than a performer because the only thing you stuffed in that crust was your fucking shit voice. Yeah, absolutely shittiest voice I've ever heard in my life, hands down. Yeah. Um, he didn't even bring us any fucking pizza. Yeah. Which is so fucking lame because yeah. part of being in a family band is bringing pizza. Yeah. We need to eat pizza more on the road and have fun and trash hotel rooms. We're we're a family band. We can't sit around all day, Blake Shelton, and do drugs like you do. And fuck Gwen Stefani. We can't do that all day because it's a family band. Do you think Art and I would rather have an adult band with our pals where we go out and we snort cocaine off Gwen Stefani's titties and then have sex with her? Yeah, of course we would. But you know what? It's a family band and that's more rewarding. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Okay, that is your family now, but you don't get your kids involved. Right. I hope. (laughs) Sicko. Making your kids watch you fuck Gwen Stefani. Speaking of which, Gwen Stefani then came in. came in. Yeah. The entire cast of The Voice was coming in. We were like, get the fuck out of here, Gwen Stefani. We turned our chairs around. We turned our fucking chairs around. We said, we are not going to be a fucking proto-ska band. Oh, no way. (laughs) Do you see a tromboner anywhere? Do you see a tromboner? We don't have bass. We're fucking cool. It's a cool rock and roll band. Yeah, I said, there's no doubt that you won't work out here. Yeah. So I said, why don't you... Hey, why don't you make like a banana, B-A-N-A-N-A-A, and split? Yeah. 
We're not no holler back guys. All right. You're not getting a, you're not going to holler back call back. Okay. So get the fuck out. Gwen Stefani. You and your whole trio of Harajuku lovers. Yeah. You get the fuck out of here. Go have sex with Blake Shelton. Go have sex with Blake Shelton and eat pizza that you didn't bring us. So, um, and then finally, uh, yeah, finally we started, we, we, you know, we went through a lot of these really fucking terrible auditions. Um, but then, uh, this one, we got, we finally got a guy that came in as the lead singer, uh, and also offered to manage us, which we were very intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. His name, every band needs a manager. Yeah. His name was Eldridge Banker and (laughs) he, I mean, I'd never heard of him before, but. He said that he had managed uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. Um, and he managed, um, let's see, The Doors. Mm-hmm. And he managed... Um, Spoon? Spoon. <laughs> Cake. Bread. <laughs> he uh, he managed the Moody Blues. <laughs> right. He managed um, Theo. He took a break. From managing bands and then also managed actors. He managed Humphrey Bogart at one point. And then he went back to bands. Yeah. So he he listed off this list and we were like, holy fuck, these are fucking cool bands. These are badass bands, especially Spoon. And no, I mean, we are so interested in having a family band. We want to be tearing up hotel rooms. We want legions of fans pissing their pants so excited when they see us perform. We want, we want to play stadiums right and there to be rivers of piss right in the aisle just piss in the aisles and so um you know they obviously were very intrigued with this guy and we signed him right there on the spot yeah i mean eldridge banker really did a good sell job on us i mean he sang uh you are my sunshine and i was in tears i literally felt like i was a sunshine yeah i never felt so close to it um so he his first move was to get us in the recording studio, which we thought was fucking badass. He said, I can tell you've got songs inside of you. You can you have the music in you, he said. Yeah, he you've saying, got the music in you. You have the music in you. Right. And so um You've got the dreamer's disease. Well, they may say that we're dreamers, but we're not the only ones. No. Our kids too. That's right. It's a family band. So, so he took us to the recording studio. Yeah. Um, listen, Bunk Bunkers, word of warning. At the end of the day, when it's a family band, leave it in the family. Yeah. This, this guy brought us to the bunker. You don't need an interloper. And, and locked us here in the recording studio. Right. Yeah. He brought us, when he meant, when he said recording studio, he meant the bunker recording studio. And, and then he, he was, did, you know, over the, th- intercom yeah. into the studio he was like ha 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 it's me mr bunker i got you guys you know yeah he was like why do you keep falling for these obvious setups right you you create these scenarios mm-hmm. that are so easy for me to exploit and you have no form of memory or quality control right. over anything and i just keep doing the exact same thing over and over and over again and you fall for it every damn time right and I can't believe that you have so little imagination that you can't see through this or that you're so self-absorbed that you're unable to think that anybody exists outside of your whatever's right in front of your faces. I mean, you should just keep the dream within the family. Don't yeah. 
you know, he also he also said that this band would have sucked. The idea of this band, this, like, you guys can't even agree on what the fucking type of music you're going to play. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, how stupid were we? It's like, I think we can see why Eldridge Banker had been with so many different acts over the years. Right. He's probably getting fired. He's probably getting fired because he fucking sucks. He's probably very akin to a Phil Spector, if yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah. Phil Spector, like a murderer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A deceased murderer. A deceased murderer. I think that he might have been a zombie, Eldridge Bunker. He might have been a zombie. So either way, here we are. We're recording. I guess we'll put the family band on hiatus for a little bit. I think Peon and Adult Baby David Crosby are actually legitimately in tears. I saw them. I mean, I could hear them over the intercom. Um, it sounded like high-fiving, but I'm pretty sure it was hugging. They're probably yeah, in tears. And now the family band isn't going to happen. You could tell they were really sad. They were like, oh, you got them. You fooled him again, and it's just like, you know, you can tell that they're, like, pretty broken up about this. Right, and I, I even think I heard that, like, you know, Adult Baby David, David Crosby was like, oh, thank God I can go back to watching Paw Patrol. Um, Which you could tell there was the subtext of which was he was just trying to put on face. Yeah. You know, he's young. He's he young. gets tired easy. He gets tired easy. He so just need to rest a little. He just needed to rest. Anyway, bunk bunkers, um, you know, we're going to rest a little bit. We're not recording shit until the discussions because we got the <laughs> the guys over at Piss. Yeah, we got, we got Piss taking care of us today. We got Piss coming in and taking care of the strip. <laughs> so uh, we'll see you, I guess, in maybe like a half hour or so for the discussion. And we're going to hand it over to Piss right here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. Enjoy Piss. I'm disgraced former Chicago PD Detective Andy Hart. I'm now an unlicensed private investigator and wanted for criminal trespassing in multiple states. I and my partner, semi-amateur bocce ball player and disbarred former attorney Art Stone, are taking up some of the hardest cases around. We're going to put our mail-in murderonomy degrees and extremely questionable professional and personal experience to use in trying to bring closure to a number of unsolved mysteries. This is PISS. Private Investigators Solving Stuff. Today we're looking into something of a piss specialty, water mysteries. It's estimated that every year, 3,000 people in the United States die from drowning. Many of these are accidental, but some are not. We heard that there was a group of detectives who retired of their own volition and weren't legally forbidden from ever serving in law enforcement again, had come up with a hypothesis connecting multiple suspicious drowning deaths, attributing the deaths to foul play. Their work was, uh, their work has, uh, oh, sorry, Andy Art, could we take that again? Let's cut that out of the script. Thanks. I trust them. Their work has garnered some popular attention, and we knew we had to check it out and co-opt that notoriety. So we did what any seasoned private dicks would do. We got out there and started investigating. Our first stop was the internet. We pulled up to the internet and spoke to a guy named Jeeves. We asked Jeeves if he knew anything about the phenomenon, and he showed us some information. The first thing we learned from Jeeves was about the case of Patrick McNeil. 
On February 16th, 1997, Fordham University Go Ram student, 20-year-old Patrick McNeil, headed to the Dapper Dog Bar in Manhattan's Upper East Side in New York City. The Dapper Dog was apparently a favorite of Fordham students because they didn't check ID and didn't mind over-serving. The night of the 16th, one of Patrick's classmates was even tending bar. Wink. <laughs> Patrick was a good-looking, athletic, popular young guy. He wanted to join the FBI someday and, as far as we know, was not on any government lists of candidates unfit for employment with the government. This is exactly the type of person you would expect to have friends and be able to socialize effectively. I don't personally understand people like that, but I'm aware that they exist. In the wee small hours of the morning on February 17th, Patrick puked in the bathroom of the Dapper Dog. He then told his friends at the bar that he was going to take the subway back to Fordham's campus, which is in the Bronx, north of Manhattan. Outside the Dapper Dog, Patrick waited for a friend. But when the friend failed to arrive, Patrick began stumbling along New York's 2nd Avenue, as observed by witnesses. Witnesses also noticed a van, which had been double-parked following him. A man and a woman were observed in the van. The van matched Patrick's pace, including coming to a stop when Patrick fell down. The van continued to follow Patrick once he got back up. Patrick was then observed turning a corner and heading east down East 90th Street. The van followed him around the corner. Patrick McNeil was never seen alive again. 49 days later, Patrick's body was recovered from the East River, where it was floating near the Owl's Head Water Pollution Control Plant at the 69th Street Pier in Brooklyn. Patrick's body was recovered more than 12 miles from where witnesses last observed his location. An autopsy was performed, and it was determined that Patrick's blood alcohol content was 0.16. Officially, the medical examiner listed Patrick's death as, quote, undetermined, end quote. The New York City police believed Patrick was drunk, wandered to the East River, fell in, and drowned. It's pretty straight. It's a pretty... All right, Andy, Art, cut that again. Are we rolling? You got it, Art. We'll cut it. Take that whenever you're ready. Yeah, it doesn't really matter if you flub lot. We, we fuck shit up all the you time. It's fine. Perfect. All right, I'm going to take it again. Look, we want this to be good for piss. This is going to be on the ID channel. All right, do, do whatever you're comfortable with. It's a pretty straightforward hypothesis, but not everybody believed it. Not even everybody who investigated Patrick's death believed it. Kevin Gannon, a New York police detective assigned to Patrick's case, was one of those people who didn't believe Patrick's death was an accident. Gannon had more issues with the official NYPD conclusion than I did and do with the Private Investigator Conduct Review Board. For starters, to get to the East River from the Dapper Dog, Gannon believed Patrick would have had to cross FDR Drive in Manhattan, a limited-access freeway which is underground at parts and is otherwise surrounded on both sides by fencing. This is a busy highway that runs along the eastern edge of Manhattan Island. Gannon was suspicious that Patrick could have crossed the highway during the daytime in a sober state, let alone at night and clearly under the influence. The autopsy on Patrick indicated potential ligature marks on his neck, which were unexplained. The autopsy also found Patrick's head and upper torso were blackened. The medical examiner chalked this up to exposure and decomposition. Gannon, however, believes Patrick was burned. 
Patrick's body also did not show the amount of skin slippage Gannon expected. Skin slippage is basically the skin slipping off of the body post-mortem. Given the amount of time Patrick's body was allegedly in the water, Gannon expected significant skin slippage. The autopsy, however, showed little to no skin slippage, leading Gannon to believe Patrick's body was only in the water for 24 hours at most. Patrick's body was recovered face up, which Gannon characterizes as unusual for drowning cases, where most victims are found face down. Further, while the autopsy report didn't mention lividity, which is where blood pools in parts of the body after death, the autopsy photographs show no lividity in Patrick's back. If his body had been face up in the water for almost two months, that's where the blood would be expected to pool. There were also fly eggs found in Patrick's pubic hair. Since Patrick disappeared on a chilly February night, flies would not have been able to lay eggs on his body. Gannon believed it would have been too cold. Speaking from personal experience, it needs to be fairly warm to get flies to lay eggs in your pubes. Ugh. Oh, God. <laughs> Why do you have personal experience with that? Being a private investigator is a very personal experience, boys. You'll learn that one day. Oh. Uh, I don't want to be a private investigator. I think after hearing the rest of this story, you will. All right. Well, anyway, who? You got to say anywho. Say anywho when you want to just continue on without really referencing any, any, anywho. Anywho. Gannon confirmed with a team of experts that flies would not be able to lay eggs on a deceased body floating in water outside in temperatures below 50 degrees. The experts did not, however, offer any suggestion for how the fly eggs got there. Patrick's body was recovered in only jeans, underwear, and socks. Gannon found it pretty unlikely that Patrick took off all his clothes and jumped in the freezing water. Gannon also claimed that Patrick's body could not have naturally drifted to where it was recovered based on the East River's currents and the fact that there are daily NYPD patrols of the river. Surely, Gannon believed, police would have noticed Patrick's body in the water had it been there for over a month. During the investigation, witnesses provided Gannon with a partial license plate number for the van that was seen following Patrick. Gannon requested a search for all license plates matching the number-letter combination of the partial plate. The request was denied on the grounds that it was too expensive. Gannon also didn't believe that Patrick was drunk enough to behave the way he did when he left the bar. He felt there was some other type of substance at play in Patrick's body that night. Ultimately, Jeeves told us that Gannon believed that Patrick was, quote, stalked, abducted, held for an extended period of time, murdered, and disposed, end quote. Gannon believed Patrick was abducted by whoever was in the van following him the night he disappeared, then was tied to a chair or something else that supported his back by his neck and then set on fire. After enduring all of this, Patrick was left out somewhere, not in the water, long enough for flies to lay eggs on him. His body was then dumped in the East River, miles away from where he was last seen. Patrick was then recovered within a day of entering the water. Despite all this, Gannon was taken off of Patrick's case by the NYPD, and, as you already know, 
Patrick's death was ruled an accidental drowning. Gannon had become friendly with Patrick's parents, which is a piss-approved move. In any investigation, you want to form as many personal relationships as possible. You should be more like an old friend than an unbiased third-party professional trying to find the truth. So, Patrick's mother made a request to Gannon. Quote, Please just try to prove that Patrick wasn't some drunk kid that fell into the river. End quote. Gannon promised Patrick's mother he would do just that. Quote, I promise you, I give you my word. When I retire, I'll prove that your son wasn't that individual and that he was abducted and murdered. End quote. True to his word, after retiring from the NYPD of his own volition and not under a cloud of corruption-related suspicion, Gannon kept investigating Patrick's death working to have the case reopened, as well as investigating other deaths with circumstances similar to those in Patrick's case. Even though the PISS team had learned a lot, we needed to know more. We thanked Jeeves for his time, and then got lunch at Hardy's. We decided to head back to the internet to answer some lingering questions about what happened to Kevin Gannon in retirement. Luckily, we ran into an old acquaintance, an informant named Wolfram Alpha. We asked Wolfram if he knew what happened to Kevin Gannon, and he showered piss with information. In retirement, Gannon eventually teamed up with two of his old partners from the NYPD, Tony Duarte and Mike Donovan. They were also joined by Dr. Lee, quote-unquote, Doc Gilbertson, a criminal justice professor at St. Cloud State University, and an expert in gangs. In his early 2000s, the team put forward a hypothesis connecting more than 40, and now, thanks to the efforts of volunteer researchers, potentially more than 300, so-called drowning deaths of young men in the USA. Connected deaths were first identified in the late 1990s, and the deaths have continued through to the present day. While law enforcement agencies officially listed these deaths as accidental drownings or due to unknown causes, Gannon and team believe the deaths are actually the work of a coordinated, well-organized group of serial killers. According to Gannon, quote, What we've determined is they're a well-structured, organized gang with cells in major cities across the United States who drug, abduct, hold the victims for a period of time alive before they murder them and then place them in the water, end quote. The team believes the group communicates over the dark web. They even claimed to locate the gang's dark web page, but when trying to access the page, were asked for login credentials and to turn on their webcam, which they didn't do. These aren't a bunch of cam boys, unfortunately. Rookie mistake, frankly. Our webcams are always on at piss. The name Smiley Face got attached to these suspected murders due to Smiley Face graffiti found near where Gannon's team hypothesizes some of the victims' bodies were dumped by their killers, or near where the bodies were found. The team published their first book, Case Studies in Drowning Forensics, in 2014. Case Studies looks into 13 cases of bodies recovered in water with similar circumstances and the case of one survivor. The book details some of the evidence for the Smiley Face murder gang. The team points out that in most cases, when a body is found in water, 
Authorities fail to treat the scene as a potential crime scene, instead defaulting to treating these cases as accidents or suicides. The victims of the hypothesized smiley face gang of killers are college-aged males, generally 18 to 22-year-old men, whose deceased bodies were found in bodies of water. The cases connected by Gannon, Duarte, Donovan, and Gilbertson stretch across 11 U.S. states. Typically, the victims were popular, fit, athletic, and good students. These victims were everything I am not. In many cases, the victims disappeared after leaving a bar or a party where they had been drinking. Alcohol is generally used by authorities to explain erratic behavior of the victims, but Gannon's team believes many of the victims may have been drugged. In at least 30 cases, suspected smiley face victims were found with GHB in their blood, and it's possible even more victims had GHB in their systems, but it decayed before the bodies were recovered. What's GHB? We're going to let our friends at our favorite podcast of all time, Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast, explain that. Here's a clip from their episode covering the missing 411 phenomenon, which we didn't request permission to use, but where they explain which, what GHB is. Hey, what the fuck, guys? Hey. You could have just asked. Yeah, well, I mean, we would have. You're recording with us. We would have given you. Why do you have to like say that you didn't ask? You could have just asked. That's not the piss way. Look, if you want something done, sometimes you just have to do it and ask for forgiveness. So, sorry, guys. All right. Well, I mean, it's fine. Fuck. Here's the clip where we explain what GHB is from Missing 411. See, it worked. If you don't know, GHB is an initialism uh, for gamma hydroxybutyrate. Not bad. Hydroxybutyrate. Hydroxybutyrate. There you go. You did a good job. Uh, which is a central nervous system depressant commonly referred to as the uh, the date rape drug. You might also hear GHB referred to as the forget me pill, G, Georgia homeboy, Georgia homeboy, grievous bodily harm, uh, La Rocha, Liquid X, lunch money, mind eraser, pingus, rib, roach, roach two, roaches, roaches, ro ropies, uh, rocho, rochas dos, roofies, Ruffies, Scoop, Zyram, or Wolfies. Wow. I'm cool, man. I know yeah, a lot you of know all the street, street names. names for stuff. <laughs> and I can pronounce them all correctly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might also be on GHB most times when we read these scripts. <laughs> I don't know. Something about the way you said I can pronounce them all correctly made me think of like Bobby Flay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Bobby Frey is a uh, he is a, he deals drugs. <laughs> he cooks them up. He's cooking up. He's cooking up a little bit more than a tasty steak. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Oh yeah. People abuse GHB as a party drug at things like you know clubs or raves, which I've been to a lot of. Uh, <laughs> users may experience euphoria and an increase in sex drive, but but they might also lose consciousness, get nauseous, hallucinate, get sweaty. Uh, become confused, get amnesia, feel exhausted, or fall into a coma. So, you know, pros and cons. Yeah. <laughs> GHB is odorless and colorless and is often mixed with alcoholic drinks. That's why the drug is often called the date rape drug, because it can be slipped into a person's drink. And although the person retains consciousness, they kind of become incapacitated, unable to fend off their attacker. Very sleazy. Yeah. 
Despite all this illegal usage of GHB, it's also legally used to treat narcolepsy and used in therapy for alcoholism and heroin addiction. So that's the thing. It's not entirely terrible. It's right. it has a, it has a very specific use. Much like Gannon and the team, the big daddy of missing 401, David Polides, suggests that GHB could be a reason for a number of water-related disappearances in the missing 401 realm. In one smiley face murder hypothesis, GHB is used on the victims in situations where their behavior will seem like drunkenness. When the victims leave their social gatherings, they are abducted, perhaps tortured, and then their bodies are placed into water. As for the motive of this gang of murderers, it's most often suggested that these slayings are driven by jealousy. As we mentioned previously, victims are generally considered attractive, successful, popular. They're hella chads. Perhaps the smiley face gang is a bunch of jealous loser virgins killing these guys to make themselves feel better. Of course, there's also the possibility that the smiley face group carries out all these murders for nothing more than the sport of it. Maybe it's just a bunch of psychopaths who love the thrill of drugging, capturing, torturing, and murdering people. This was certainly an important development in our research. We needed to find out more about this alleged gang of killers, and we knew just who could help us out. We got in touch with one of our piss contacts who has a criminal record and who is known only as Bing. Bing told us about two additional cases that shed some additional light on the situation. One of the key cases in the smiley face killer's hypothesis is that of Chris Jenkins from the U.S. state of Minnesota. Chris was a 21-year-old University of Minnesota student and lacrosse player and went out partying at the Lone Tree Bar in Minneapolis on Halloween night, October 31st, in 2002. Chris was escorted out of the bar that night, and nobody is quite sure why. Chris was last seen by eyewitnesses shortly after midnight on November 1st, 2002. He was not seen again until his body was recovered from the Mississippi River on February 27th, 2003, 118 days after he went missing. The police investigation determined that Chris had likely fallen from a bridge into the frigid river below. Chris's parents didn't believe Chris's death was accidental, and they didn't feel police were doing enough to investigate the possibility that Chris was murdered. They hired a non-piss-affiliated private detective named Chuck Losh to help investigate Chris's death. One key piece of evidence for Chris's family was his body when it was found. Chris was floating on his back, and his arms were crossed, leading Chris's parents to believe he had been posed and placed in the water. Chris's parents were very vocal in requesting the police reevaluate Chris's case. Chris's mother even speculated that there may have been a cover-up in the police force. She suggested that an off-duty cop was also at the Lone Tree Bar the night Chris disappeared, and this off-duty cop had Chris removed from the bar so the cop could hook up with Chris's girlfriend. The efforts of Chris, Chris's family eventually paid off, with the police changing their tune. In November 2006, more than four years after Chris went missing, police officially classified Chris's death as a homicide. The police said Chris was thrown from a bridge into the Mississippi River. Apparently, they got a tip from an inmate serving a life sentence for murder and also identified an eyewitness to come to the crime. 
the inmate, Jeremy Alford, boasted that he had killed Chris. Alford never was never charged with Chris's murder because he had an alibi. His girlfriend and baby mama said that she was with Alford on Halloween night in 2002. After police changed their classification of Chris's death, Kevin Gannon and team headed for Minneapolis to check it out. They interviewed Jeremy Alford, and that interview seems to have had a profound impact on their work in these suspicious drowning cases. Alford indicated he had been part of a gang possibly called the Dealers of Death. When being questioned by the FBI, Alford said his gang was responsible for the murders of 40 young men. It was also uncovered that Alford was a regular at a downtown Minneapolis bar called Brothers Bar and Grill, which was nearby the Lone Tree Bar. The night Chris disappeared, he left the Lone Tree Bar, went to Brothers Bar and Grill, and later went back to the Lone Tree Bar. Gannon's team found out that the autopsy showed that Chris had GHB in his system. This could explain Chris's observed intoxicated behavior. He could barely walk straight, and his speech was slurred. All this even though Chris's blood alcohol content was determined to be only 0.060. The autopsy photos showed that Chris had a clump of hair in one hand. When Gannon's team attempted to test the hair, they found out that it had not been set aside as evidence by the medical examiner. Thus, the hair could not be tested to gain any additional clues. Ultimately, Gannon and team had the same problem with Chris's case as with many others. They believe Chris's body showed inconsistent decomposition for the amount of time the body was allegedly in the water, and that be and that believed that. Uh, 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 are you all right? You're sweating a lot. Sorry. I had a few drinks with lunch. I'm a little nervous to get this piss thing off the ground. It's everybody's nervous their first time. Just relax. Just, Just take it easy. Talking to the mic. We're very unprofessional. Well, piss is very professional. In fact, we've considered making it professional investigators solving stuff. That way, piss reeks of professionalism. All right, well, whenever you're ready. Ultimately, Gannon and team had the same problem with Chris's case as with many others. They believed Chris's body showed inconsistent decomposition for the amount of time the body was allegedly in the water and believed that the position in which the body was found suggested it was staged and placed in the water. As with other similar cases, Gannon and team believed Chris was drugged, abducted, kept alive for a period of time outside the water, murdered, and then placed into the Mississippi River. So all that said, it really seems like Chris Jenkins is the link between a collection of suspect drowning incidents and a multi-state murder organization. Another person frequently connected to the Smiley Face Killer's hypothesis is Dakota James. Dakota was 23 years old and studying at... uh, It's Duquesne. Yeah, what's the matter? You don't know how to pronounce stuff? Sorry, it just coughed me off guard. Duquesne University in Pittsburgh in the U.S. state of Pennsylvania when he went missing in January of 2017. The night of January 25th, Dakota and some co-workers were out drinking in downtown Pittsburgh. Dakota left his group to head home alone. CCTV cameras captured footage of Dakota in downtown Pittsburgh 
entering an alley alone and looking at his phone. Dakota was never seen alive again. His body was recovered from the Ohio River 40 days later and about 10 miles from downtown. Ultimately, police decided that Dakota fell from the Roberto Clementine Bridge and accidentally drowned. Dakota's parents did not believe Dakota's death was accidental. They believed that Dakota was abducted when he came out of the alleyway, a location which was not in view of CCTV cameras. Gannon and team didn't believe the official conclusion either. They pushed to have Dakota's autopsy report released, which authorities did. The team noted what they considered a lack of decomposition and swelling of Dakota's body, considering the time it was in the water. The body was also in excellent condition, despite the fact that to travel down the river from the Roberto Clemente Bridge to the I-79 Bridge where it was recovered, the body would have had to pass through the Emsworth Dam. Dr. Gilbertson said that Dakota's body should have had major external injuries after being caught in the dam. He also said that the chances of Dakota's body passing under the dam without any damage were small. Further, the autopsy report showed what appeared to be ligature marks on Dakota's neck, as well as pooled blood in some of Dakota's fingers. The bocce balls were really starting to roll together for Gannon and the team. Everything they found led the team to believe Dakota, much like Patrick McNeil, was drugged, abducted, held captive, murdered, and then his body was dumped in the river beyond the Emsworth Dam. Gannon and team surmised that during his captivity, Dakota had been strangled and attempted to remove the ligatures with his fingers, explaining the marks on his neck and hands. As further evidence, the official explanation didn't add up. Gannon's team also noted that there were transactions in Dakota's PayPal account after he disappeared. If you believe the official version of events, by the time these transactions were performed, Dakota would have already been dead in the Ohio River. As also of note, the team found a spray-painted smiley face on the underpass close to where Dakota's body was recovered. Allegedly, there were also 11 smiley faces graffitied on the Roberto Clementine Bridge. Now, to be fair, Gannon and Dakota's mother presented their findings to the local district attorney. The DA asked a homicide detective to check it out with the medical examiner's office. The detective determined the marks on Dakota's neck were dried blood washed off during the autopsy. According to the DA, there's a picture from the autopsy showing that blood came from Dakota's nose and mouth and pooled at the neck. There's a later photo that shows the quote-unquote ligature marks, but where the neck has been cleaned of the blood. To be even equally fair, Dakota's mom says it's ridiculous to believe dried blood stayed on her son's body for 40 days in the water. She also said the blood pooled in Dakota's fingers is unexplained if you discount the ligature hypothesis. Interestingly, weeks before, on December 15th, 2016, Dakota had been out drinking with the same co-workers as on January 25th, 2017. That night, after leaving his friends, Dakota called his friend Shelley. And the first thing he said was, I don't know where I am. I'm so cold. Please help me. I'm lost. Shelley started to drive to where Dakota told her he was in North Pittsburgh. She checked his location on her phone and discovered that Dakota was actually in South Pittsburgh. Shelley continued to talk to Dakota while driving. (laughs) 
and Dakota seemed disoriented and was unable to remember how he got where he was. After about 10 minutes of driving, Shelly located Dakota. <laughs> she found him stumbling out of a hotel and moving toward a black USV SUV parked in the street. Like parked where the traffic goes and headed in the wrong direction. Shelly pulled up and shouted for Dakota. Dakota got in Shelly's car and the black SUV took off. During the ride home, Dakota told Shelly that he went to a bar with some co-workers about four hours prior and didn't remember anything after that. Though he had seemingly been drinking for four hours, Shelly noticed that Dakota had walked to her car in a straight line, and his speech didn't seem to be slurred. He didn't appear to be drunk, but clearly something was amiss. Shelly guessed that Dakota was drugged. Our case files were getting stuffed. So we headed back to Piss HQ to put it all together. Once we got back to our office, our Google home, which we named Rodney, overheard us talking about the smiley face killers and decided to send us a few web pages. It's a good thing that Rodney did that too, because it gave us a much different perspective. first thing Rodney sent us was some info on the law enforcement response to the efforts of Gannon's team. Gannon and team have approached a number of different law enforcement agencies to share the results of their investigations into these mysterious deaths. In most cases, police are pretty skeptical of their work. Authorities seem reluctant to reopen investigations or even reclassify the nature of these deaths. Gannon's team has also had trouble with agencies agreeing to release evidence to them to carry out their investigations. Some people believe that police have incentive to suppress the smiley face killer's hypothesis and to undermine Gannon and team's findings. The reasoning is that Gannon's team has identified plenty of cases where police did a poor job of investigating, resulting in homicides being classified as accidents. If any agency admits it made a mistake, it could make all the police agencies involved in these cases look incompetent. Rodney also clued us into some of the criticisms raised against the work Gannon and team are doing. In 2008, USA Federal Bureau of Investigation Supervisory Special Agent Richard Kolko made the following statement, quote, Over the past several years, Law enforcement and the FBI have received information about young college-aged men who were found deceased in the rivers in the Midwest. The FBI has reviewed the information about the victims provided by two retired police detectives who have dubbed these incidents the smiley face murders and interviewed an individual who provided information to the detectives. To date, we have not developed any evidence to support links between these tragic deaths or any evidence substantiating the theory that these deaths are the work of a serial killer or killers. The vast majority of these instances appear to be alcohol-related drownings. End quote. In 2010, the Center for Homicide Research released a report called Drowning the Smiley Face Murder Theory. As you can guess, the report strongly supported the theory. Just kidding piss freakers 
The whole point of the report was to debunk the smiley face gang hypothesis, citing things like lack of physical evidence of a serial killer and lack of evidence on bodies of the homicidal drowning, which is a pretty rare crime to begin with. One key issue with the smiley face killer's hypothesis is that of the smiley face graffiti itself. The Center for Homicide Research report brought it up, as have others. Many have questioned if the smiley face graffiti aspect of these cases is even really significant or relevant. The smiley face is one of the most common symbols in graffiti, or really anywhere. If graffiti exists somewhere, there's a good chance you might find a smiley face. Gannon's investigative team has also received scrutiny for when they consider smiley face graffiti to be part of any particular case. They've never really established any type of rules for the style of smiley face or proximity of the graffiti to either where the bodies were recovered or entered the water. Pretty much, if they find any kind of smiley face graffiti anywhere nearby, they can use the smiley face to link to this hypothesis. Also, law enforcement can really only estimate where bodies enter the water. It may not be entirely known if smiley face graffiti was near the actual location of the body entering the water. Additionally, there's the issue of not finding smiley face graffiti. Gannon and team said that the group uses symbols other than the smiley face. So, really, there are multiple possibilities for types of graffiti found nearby locations related to drowning deaths, which allows those deaths to then be associated with the smiley face hypothesis. In instances where no symbols are found, Gannon and team determined in some cases, for an unknown reason, the smiley face gang decided to perform their standard murder, but not leave a calling card. One critical type of evidence off-sided by Gannon and team is that of the condition of bodies recovered. As we've seen in many cases, Gannon's team does not feel that the decomposition of the recovered bodies matches with the amount of time the bodies were allegedly in the water. Apparently, experts in water-based investigations say that water can have a preservative impact on bodies, especially if the water is cold, as was the case for a lot of the smiley face victims. In some cases, investigators are even able to recover intact fingerprints from bodies that have been in the water for a long period of time. Overall, Gannon and team have also been criticized for cherry-picking evidence and ignoring evidence that doesn't support the smiley face gang hypothesis. In a more gossipy kind of way, Gannon has also been accused of carrying out all these investigations for personal clout, all at the expense-slash-exploitation of victims' families. These folks say Gannon exploits the grieving families by giving them false hope, all in a bid to improve his own personal clout. Um, yeah. Uh, why would a private investigator do something like that? especially one who's legally not allowed to be a private investigator anymore. Uh, jeez, that's crazy. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, some have said that the smiley face hypothesis is just a good old fashioned case of apophenia. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> you guys acted really What's, shifty there for a second. What? I don't know what you mean, Art. I, all right. I don't know. I think we're, we're going to play it back. We're going to. We're going to see a little somebody. You guys were getting very shifty. You're sweating a lot. Yeah, I don't know. There was something about when it talked about exploiting victims' families for all, for your personal gain. You both kind of fumbled around for a little bit and then just moved on. I don't know what you could possibly mean. Yeah, there's really nothing to there's nothing to see here, guys. God damn it. They're officer barbering us. We're just too... too Retired private detectives forced to retire and and forced. solve stuff. We are just private investigators. All right. Whatever. Get through the rest of the script. So where was I? Some have said that the smiley face hypothesis is just a good old fashioned case of apophenia. Apophenia is the human tendency to see a connection or pattern in things that are random or unrelated. It's basically just human nature to try to connect things together because it makes us feel better than knowing that we're all just hurtling through space at breakneck speed and anything can and does happen constantly all the time around us and we control nothing and are ultimately meaningless in the whole of existence. Skeptics of the smiley face hypothesis say it's possible that college-age men are more likely than the general populace to drink to excess, walk home alone, and stop off at bodies of water to relieve themselves that is, to piss, and then fall into the water. With water temperatures being so cold, even these healthy athletic men succumb to the freezing temperatures. As District Attorney for the Dakota James case, Stephen Zapala said, quote, that time of year, with the water temperature, you only have a couple minutes before you go into shock, and that's that, end quote. We certainly had done a lot of work on this case by just consolidating the work done by other people. Now comes the hard part, taking credit for it. The good news for you, piss freakers, is that because we aren't allowed to practice law or file lawsuits anymore, you get to be the judge and jury in this case. Are you convinced that these tragic deaths are the work of a coordinated murder organization? Or are these just some college dudes getting drunk and or doing drugs, then sadly drowning. Gah? Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on another edition of Piss. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message.
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, welcome back to Bung Fungus. There was a research um, of the Smiffix. Was it really our research, though? <sighs> Partly I don't know it was. about those piss guys. I'm going to be honest. Partly it was because they used that clip from our missing 411 show. Yeah. We were involved. Like, yeah. obviously, we oversaw the recording. Those guys were very nervous. Yeah. Something was up with those guys. Yeah. I mean, you won't hear it in the final Bunk Funkers, but there were some flubs, uh, some uncharacteristic flubs. Yeah. We'll definitely uh, make make an effort to go back and edit those we'll out. We'll for sure remember. We work to, really hard on this show. We'll and, for sure remember to edit those out. You definitely didn't hear any of that, you know, studio chatter or any of the flubbed lines and stuff. But. You know, so the product sounds seamless, sounds oh. perfect, but you so know, guess. they were a little bit nervous. You could tell they were nervous. Um, you know, it's funny when you meet confident people who are a little bit, you know, nervous about presentation. Right. Don't you think? Right. Because it comes so natural to people like us because we're so used to, you know, stepping on that stage and just having people revile us instantly yeah. or even if they're mm-hmm. kind of lukewarm to us at first just hating us hating our guts instantly we've and worked really, yeah yeah we've worked for every every applause every laugh um we've worked probably double i would say more so than any other performer ever <laughs> yeah because we have such unappealing personalities yeah, we baseline. start in the negative and we right. have to fucking work real hard just to get into baseline zero i mean look bunk you, know? you all listen to the show you right. know how horrible it can be oh yeah so just imagine that in person, though. You can't just turn it off. That being said, I wish the piss guys the best of luck, you know, with their yeah. show and whatnot. Go yeah. check it out on independentdiscoverychannel.com or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah, go to the ID channel. Check out piss. Um, you know, just search your TV for piss. Yeah. Just um, type piss into, just the, type piss into, into your web browsers up. and do a Boolean search for piss. Yeah, and you'll find it. Um, It'll come up. You know, I think they're going to do more stuff like this where they, you know... Yeah, you'll probably hear them on other shows. Yeah, too. Yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll make the rounds. They're doing a press tour. Yeah, you know, you'll probably so, see them on last podcast on the left, and um, you probably hear them on, uh, you know, yeah. my favorite murder. Right. And yeah, all the big shows. Joe Rogan's. The, yeah, Joe Rogan's. He'll probably be on uh, uh-huh. Chapo Trap House. That's right. Uh, they'll probably be on, uh, you know, yeah. New York Times Daily. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they got a lot of stuff coming up, but uh, you know, at least that's what they told us. So we definitely, you know, we have no means of. Um, and the thing is, is, you know what? We didn't check. I mean, take people at their word, you know? It's like they came in, they said, hey, we have a show on independent discovery. We're doing this stuff. It's called Piss. It's like, oh, okay. Checks out. Yeah. It's like, we're fine. We'll do the Piss stuff with you. Yeah, like, we'll do we, Piss stuff with you. Yeah, we don't. I mean, a Piss play. You know what? If people ask We'll give us, a play to Piss. Yeah, we'll, we'll play Piss. Um, if people ask us to do something, we, we do it, you know? Yeah. It's like- why do you got to make a big stink about everything? What check credentials? Make sure they're not lying. Yeah, go to their website. Yeah, I mean, it's like I'm not I do that. I mean, it's like I can search piss. It's fine. It, I'm sure it'll come up. I'm not gonna do it, but smiley face killers, Andy. Very missing four and one adjacent. Oh yeah, I got it. Feels very. But with a twist, it's like it's like smiley. It's like missing four and one with lime. Yeah, well, it's like the diet coke with lime. You know, to diet coke. You know what I think is interesting when you compare these two things side by side, at least to me, in my mind. Missing 411. 
David Polites is very cautious about tying anything together, right? Mm. He doesn't want to, he doesn't, he has not ever. Supposedly. Well, yeah. He's never officially, by the way, peek behind the curtains here into my personal life, bunk funkers. Uh, I ordered, You're a murderer? I'm a murderer. And I want to share some of my crimes with you now. <laughs> no, I, um, for our missing 411 episode, um, I ordered a book from David Politis's website, which needs to be redone, which is the it's a terrible website. It's the, uh, the national, uh, associate, the national Bigfoot associate nabs or whatever it's called his yeah. Bigfoot research uh, organization. And that's where the store is. And you can buy all the missing four. That's the only place you can buy brand new copies of missing four one one books is from his website. Official copies. You can go on Amazon and buy them, but they're resales. Mm. Right. And they're usually marked up at huge volume because, um, because he doesn't sell them anywhere else. Right. He doesn't sell it. He only sells in one place and the stock is somewhat limited. You just, you have to catch it when he's like doing it because right. I'm pretty sure he mailed the fucking book to me himself. Right. Um, so anyway, I just got an email today. Books are back in stock. Books are back in stock. Missing 401 books. You're going to be listening to this weeks after it's been recorded. <laughs> it won't be relevant anymore. But check out NABs and get your missing 411 books. But here's the thing. All right. David Politis. Right. That's a total tangent. Total Forget tangent. I said it. Forget he the, said it. The point is David Politis has been very guarded about making a definitive statement about what he thinks is causing the missing 411 phenomenon. Why are people coming up missing? He treats it more as a, I'm just pointing out, I'm doing the investigation. I'm retelling these stories, consolidating them. I'm finding commonalities and I'm building um, a collection of cases that have a lot of weird similarities. Right. So he's been very guarded about it. So it was up to us to mm-hmm. kind of come to a conclusion. Kevin Gannon, Tony Duarte, Kevin Morrison and, and Doc Gilbertson, they've gone much further yeah. in saying like we found they did the missing 411 thing of we found some unusual cases with some similar circumstances and then they went totally all in they on, go hard in the paint this is an organized group of serial killers murdering young men like they went very they went to a definitive conclusion <laughs> uh, i mean I, I i don't know i guess in this is a must be a weird feeling for someone like you who does not like definitive conclusions. And, and see, look at all the scrutiny the they got. Yeah. They should have never said. They shouldn't have David said. Politis, totally beyond scrutiny. People can only guess that he thinks it's Bigfoot. Yeah, to a degree. Or extraterrestrials. People I think can only guess. some versions where... where okay, sure, sure. Versions where he, sure. Said, he talks about it a lot on Coast portals. to Coast AM. Portals. <laughs> and Bigfoot. But, but he's uh, never said officially. In the books, right. Sure. But uh, now... Um, I don't know. I, this is there. There's there seems to be definitely some. It, it it always goes both ways with these investigations, right? There's sure. there's sometimes where it's like not like should we scrutinize law enforcement for not opening up the case or should we scrutinize them for opening up the case? You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. like it's like, I think we talked about that. We we've probably talked about that before, but it's like it's like it's sort of like a well, what what should we do here? Like. It's sort of like people are calling them out because it's like, well, I don't like the truth, which is that, you know, horrible things happen to people. You know, my kid was out drinking and he stumbled drunk or he acts maybe maybe he was out drinking. OK, these are these are college bars. 
Like, obviously, there's a problem with a trope of of college drinking is the date rape drug, mm-hmm. uh, which starts with an R. I forget what the name of it is. Rohypnol? Rohypnol. You know, GHB. Is it, didn't we discuss that GHB is very similar to Rohypnol in some ways? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, you know, roofies. Right. And GHB, it's like basically, it's similar very similar. Thing, right. So let's say we're building this hypothesis, we're building this case, accidentally drinks a roofie drink, thinking it was his own or something like that. You don't know. Then they stumble, drunk, fall into a river and die. Right. And now you're the family of them, the, the victim's family. It's like, yeah, that's a fucking horrible thing to have happen. It's a thing that's going to ruin your life and you're going to remember it the rest of your life. And so, you know, that camp might be like, well, fuck them. They need to reopen this case. But then other people are like, well, no, you don't. It's like it's cut and dry. So it's sort of like, well, what's the fucking answer here? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's. And- it seems like there's some sus stuff going on with the fucking burn marks and the ligatures. Yeah. Well, and I think there is a, uh, you know, as part of the whole apophenia yeah. thing, you know, a lot of people, it's it's kind of, this is kind of a hard subject to broach Very in my hard subject mind because it's hard to, it's hard to criticize people who are grieving sure. for the loss of a loved one. But Especially in a, in a homicide. Yeah. Or in an accidental death that looks sketchy. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people feel like families um, don't want to believe Sure. Or, you know, they don't want to accept that their son, in this case, it's mostly we're talking about men, um, that their son drank to excess and then fell into a body of water when it was too cold, went into shock and died. Like, right. They don't want to think they don't want their last image of their child to be stumbling drunkenly into a river. Right. You know, trying to take a piss and then dying because of it. And so it's hard to, you know. Now, your family expected that. I mean, honestly. They they saw you. They would say, well, he stumbles all the time. Right. That I makes mean, sense. Yeah. Me stumbling is the way I'm going to die. And everybody accepts that. But for these guys, these are these are athletic. These are athletic, good looking. Again, I mean, they're not ugly, uncoordinated <laughs> idiots like me. Tripping over your own toga, ripping Tripping, it off in front of campus police. Right. Falling down face first onto, you know, sidewalks just because there's an older person standing nearby. There's all kinds of there's all kinds of reasons that if I died in an embarrassing way, people would be like, it's fitting. Oh, he died after taking a tiny bong hit and then uh his toga fell around his pants in his underwear? That checks out. Yeah, that's that's my that's my kid. Oh, oh, he he used to be like he was peacefully sleeping in his no 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 that's no, that, no, that's no, not no. you gotta reopen this case surely there was some sort of a gas leak in his home and he lit a match for no apparent reason <laughs> and it blew up he died peacefully surrounded by his love no no no, no not no, possible no. Stop, stop 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 um but for these men you know they are expected to live for a long time and sure you know this is youth dying and so it's a very difficult thing for parents who have to deal with that or for family members of any type that have to deal with it and so a lot of people think like hey these parents they don't want to admit it but that's really in a lot of cases probably what the truth is yeah is that it's just a horrible accident um that you know like you said we looked at three of them yeah, there's there's a lot. So there's a lot more. It's impossible to go into the tale of all of them. Like for for example, 
uh, there was a guy named Tommy Booth who uh, went out drinking with some friends at a bar. There was a guy named Tommy Booth who liked to drink vermouth. He got drunk, had to spunk. He got drunk as a skunk. Fell in the water forsooth. So Tommy Booth went out drinking with his with his friends. Right. Um, somebody else in the group got rowdy and they were like two, two people got kicked out and the other people in the group, they suddenly realized like Tommy's missing. He's not with us anymore. So they start looking for him and they can't find him. He gets reported missing. They find his body. I think two weeks after that, uh, what had happened, what the police determined happened is that Tommy, uh, I actually think they got thrown out cause they were like, the two guys got thrown out because they were like smoking weed or something in the bar. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, apparently what the police determined is that Tommy left the bar through a rear exit. There was a creek that ran behind the bar. He fell in the creek. It was very cold. They didn't find him, you know, in the daylight. The creek then froze over. And so like his body didn't appear until two weeks later because the creek had been frozen over. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's like Gannon's team looks at this and they say, this is pretty suspicious because, you know, Tommy didn't drink enough. His body was really well preserved. There's a boot mark that doesn't belong to him by the creek bed uh, with a drag mark behind it. Um, and there's a smiley face painted on the back of the bar. I mean, no idea how long smiley face has been there or anything like that right there's a smiley face painted on the back of the bar um so you know police said well yeah obviously the body's not as decomposed as it should be because it was frozen for two weeks Mm. like we did you know it's not just floating around in the water being picked at by animals and stuff it's like frozen under the ice for two weeks so there's, there's times like that where to me it's like i mean ian occam's razor but like what's more likely that Tommy's Tommy got drugged and abducted and then got placed back in the same Creek bed two weeks later. Right. Like, or is it more likely that poor guy was drunk and you know, maybe he had been, people have different drinking just, tolerances as well. Yeah. Maybe and people just, act differently when drunk. Right. And maybe he just slipped on a muddy Creek bed and fell into this water and it's really cold. Yeah. And like, you know, if you, if you're inebriated, it makes it hard to swim. For yeah. One. And like you could just, you know, you get stuck because you're you're like freeze right away. And then the creek freezes over and then the body reappears and it's like kind of in stasis for a couple of weeks almost. So the big yeah. thing with that yeah. one is that he was still when they found the body, he was still like in a state of rigor mortis, um, which is supposed to like dissipate after 24 hours. But he was frozen. Right. The authorities say, well, he was frozen. So that's the reason that he'd still have some of that muscle stiffness. Yeah, this is a very like damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of topic where it's like you can totally see how, yes, they could be taking advantage of these families. But at the same time, like I kind of believe that these guys believe that there's a thing going on, maybe. Yeah, Um, but it's like, mm, I do think that they do because. But also you like how you're getting. Yeah. Clout for it, right? Right. Like you want to solve these mysteries to help people. They get some attention. This, This thing has really like. I mean, kind of, I mean, it's older too, is the thing. Like, right. the, I think the thing that's interesting about it on that angle is that 
they first put published that book in 2008 or no, the book was in like 2004, but they came out with this hypothesis in 2008. Mm-hmm. So it's been out there for at the time of this recording, more than a decade, which I guess that will never change. It's never, we're never going to go backwards in time, but it's more, it's over, it's over 10 years old. They've really never, there's been no breaks in the case. They've never uncovered one. They've never provided any actual physical evidence of the involvement of any serial killer in any of these cases. Right. And yet it still has this like popularity that people, people believe it or people are at least interested in it. It seems like a possibility and they keep, you know, they have a lot of researchers that work on this stuff and you know, they've, they keep adding new cases all the time. True crime's hot baby. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's interesting to me that it's like for a case that has so much attention to it, seemingly there's very little developments. Like even with, um, you know, Chris Jenkins in Minnesota, they reclassified his death as a homicide, but nobody's ever been charged. Right. Because I mean, it probably was Jeremy Alford, but he has an alibi and they can't prove anything, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, they just don't have, they don't have the evidence now. I mean, going back in time, I think to Gannon's point, it's like they didn't treat it as a homicide. So they're not really like holding a lot of evidence on it. It's like they make a decision and then it's kind of a Kurt Cobain type of deal. For sure. I mean, it's exactly the same to me, in my mind, a similar situation where police use their whatever experience and intuition. They come in and they make a judgment about what they're dealing with and they take some precaution, but it's like, oh, this is pretty clearly a suicide. With Kurt Cobain, it's like, oh, this looks like a suicide. Right. And so they don't treat it like a homicide. Right. Uh, with these, they're like, oh, this is probably an accidental drowning because there are a lot of accidental there's drownings. There's a ton of accidental drownings. Uh, so they just treat it like an accident. And there's right. not, they don't have to investigate as much with an accident because it's like, well. If everything's not an accident, then like what, when are they and aren't they accidents? You know, it's like, right. there's, there's some stuff with their data that I think is like, yeah, like, like those pinpoints of like, well, okay, how do we know it's the same smiley face? Like, what did you test the age of the smiley? Like, uh, the, the, all that stuff about the fucking smiley faces. It's like, yeah, okay, but like, yeah, there's smiley faces everywhere. You could go anywhere and find a smiley face. It's a pretty weak, it's a pretty weak tie. Yeah, to be honest. Um, and I do kind of wonder, like, why they chose to do this, unless it's just like Gannon felt so much, I don't know, pressure. Yeah, from McNeil's parents, from Patrick McNeil's parents to like actually come up with something to prove this. Right. You know, and there's just not enough evidence. Well, it's that, you know, kind of that trope of the detective where it's like, ah, that's the case that got away. You know, it's like like his white whale. I I never solved it. Right. So um, now that being said, you know, I I mean, I don't want to get into verdict territory because I I have a story that I also want to share. Oh, yeah. But um of a time I fell into a river. No. Um, <laughs> Let me know. tell you a story about a time I drank to excess. <laughs> um, well, I'll say this. Is this is, did you ever have any like college stories or whatever? This reminds me of a very specific moment. I'm not going to say the person's name, but I'm going to send this clip to him and then he'll be like, oh, and um, he was a friend of mine who I went to college with. And it's like we went out. Everyone went out like drinking. I was still underage. And so I didn't, I went, but I like, they were like, well, we think we could probably just sneak you into one of the bars in Wrigleyville because we were out in Wrigleyville. And I was like, eh, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. And I think I just ended up not doing it. So I was like, I don't want to be Where that. were you, sluggers? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, they all went to sluggers. Oh, How'd yeah. you fucking know? I, I mean, 
Edu- <laughs> call it an educated guess. Yeah. So uh, I think I just ended up being like, uh, and it was snowing. It was a cold winter's night. Mm-hmm. And then my dumbass friend either didn't bring his jacket or forgot his jacket. I think he didn't bring one because he just didn't want to carry it. Right. So it's the middle of winter. He's wearing just a button up shirt and jeans. And I'm pretty sure I, I kind of forget what happened exactly, but I think he ended up going into sluggers, drinking to excess, and then ended up sharing either a cab or a ride with some fucking stranger who he didn't know, who ended up taking him to her apartment where he didn't know where he was and was then in the apartment. And then I don't, I forget, like it goes in and out there. And it's like, dude, that very easily could have been one of these scenarios. 100%. (laughs) Like, yeah. But, you know, and I, I don't think my friend would deny that. And I do have to, I almost wish I could have his fucking response because he'll, uh, I think he'll first correct me on the, uh, order of operations of what happened that night and who did what, where, and what happened. But, um, well, if this, if I got it wrong, we'll issue a correction. I guess we will issue a correction to this person, but, um, you know, anyway, it's just like those, th- those kinds of nights happen. I mean, and that's me and that's my friends aren't even like cool, handsome fucking chads right. who are athletic bros and you know, they're fucking dweebs and dorks like me. So, right, right. um, you know, people do fucking really fucking stupid shit in college, really dumb stuff. That's like true, going do. home with complete strangers and ending up somewhere in the city where you don't know where you are and you don't have your friends and your cell phone isn't working. You know, if you were a if you were a woman who wanted to be a serial killer, <laughs> you probably could go to like any college town yeah. and just like hang out at the bars and just like, oh, you can go back to my place. I right. you could like clean up if you wanted to if your goal was just like high body count. Yeah. As far as murders. Now, or I mean, sex. That being said, um I look at some of these and I think these some of these could definitely be murders. Mm-hmm. Now is this a coordinated effort by a nationwide gang who are, I don't know, disgruntled Walmart employees or fans of the uh, Nirvana symbol that there's on a lot of Nirvana t-shirts? Uh, you know what I most associate the like smiley face with, I think, in my mind? Bob from Windows 98? No. <laughs> like this might sound this might sound bad. I hesitate to even say it, but I'm going to say it. Okay. The thing I most associate the smiley face with is... Um, Chinese takeout because like, I feel like that's the place you see the smiley face on the like plastic bag the most. Uh, there's this place, uh, in Chicago, like in, in the heart of the loop called the silk road, um, that has like your classic, Mm. like, you know, no, Andy, that was, um, that was in like Asia and Europe and stuff in the great on the silk road. No, I've, I've been there. It's in the alley off of LaSalle. I don't know, Andy. I think you're an idiot. Oh, my God. I think we got to get piss in here to solve this. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the Silk Road? Let's just get Rodney from Piss HQ in yeah. here. So you went to Silk Road. And that's, you know, it's like... Classic Chinese takeout. It's a place you could go if you work in the lun- if you work in the loop. It's a good place to go for like you know classic, kind of like the Americanized Lunch Chinese special. type of food. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not like oh super authentic, but no. 
Um, and no one's knocking that. Yeah, it's like, you know, the, the thing I always get, almost always, is the spicy chicken, mm-hmm. which is just like, you know, fried chicken with some, like, stir-fried vegetables. Yeah. Uh, and it's in, like, kind of spicy sauce. The spicy shrimp, also pretty good. What do you get on the side? Rice? Uh, Egg roll? I usually do... Uh, I usually do fried rice or noodles. They have Oof. like these little thin noodles. Oh yeah. Um, but they do have a d- decent egg roll. I mean, it's pretty, pretty like standard. Cool. I'll probably never go there. Crab Rangoon. You can get a crab Rangoon. They sell them individually too. <laughs> really? It's like, so you could, if you just want two crab Rangoon, you could get just two ra- crab Rangoon, which is nice. I don't think I've ever been to a place that sells them one at a time. No, that which seems is very nice. Yeah. It seems interesting. Um, no, but I it's, think, but I mean, it's like, yeah. Spicy chicken. You can get that lunch special spicy chicken for like $8. Ooh, that's a great lunch special. Great price. And it's a lot of food. Oh so, my God. The point is. Great. Uh, that place, when you go and you get the your food from there, mm-hmm. you have the little smiley face bag. Smiley face thank you bag. Um, Yeah. Is there a, is, no, but could I see a world where uh, nefarious people are like, oh, let's kidnap a wealthy fucking college teen from a expensive school like Fordham Jesuit school like Fordham Jesuit school yeah it is oh and uh, um, and uh, let's kidnap them and fucking ransom their you know rich ass parents for money and then uh, I don't know just fucking abduct them and kill them like I don't know I could see that is jealousy and sport really that compelling of motives too like you're, so, I mean, like, I mean, we're talking like they paint these guys out to be like, okay, I don't want to offend anybody, but like these are like your stereotypical keyboard warriors, like you know what I mean? Like these are like basement dwellers, like oh, it's these unattractive, like right. sweaty, greasy people who have never played any sports and never have interacted with other human beings at uh-huh. all because they live in their parents' basement and they're sure. 45 years old. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, so they're, and their name started there. they're so mad at college students who are like attractive and popular that they're going to like band together to murder them in a coordinated effort. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't, Oh, I don't think you were following. Me. I don't think I was. I thought you were saying that those are the people who work for Gannon. No, no, no. I was like, where's this going? No, no, no. This is like, they're saying this is like the smiley face gang. Right, right. right. Like, I just don't, I don't know that I buy that. I don't buy that at all. Because it seems like the people who would be jealous of college students would be other college students. Yeah. Like, I've never met a college student since I graduated college where I'm like, I'm so jealous of that college student. No, I I don't. I mean, a lot of people want to relive their college days. Which I guess I get. I'm jealous of being young, but... I'm totally jealous of being young. 23 was fucking great. Oh, what a great age. But uh, no, I don't want to go back to college. That fucking sucked. Oh, no, I would go back to college, but I don't. I would want to be me now and not me then. I guess. Me then was so much worse than me now. Oh, really? And, I mean, think about it. I fucking suck now. Yeah. Imagine how shitty I was then. Oh, man, yeah. <sighs> You're probably so loud. Yeah, I was loud. I was obnoxious i was yeah. irritating yeah um mm-hmm. you had the energy to keep up with it yeah i could be extra obnoxious i mean now i'm just beat down by life but then i was hopeful <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it was the late 60s yeah the summer of love that was when i graduated 1969 uh, la, 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 la. yeah i just don't i don't i 
I can totally like, yeah, I can totally see serial killers killing people. I can see, you know, but the thing is, is that serial killers tend to prey on the weak. Um, I don't really know a lot of serial killers who t- fucking go murder power lifters and bodybuilders. Yeah, there's a there's a. Well, I want to take on somebody who could easily fight back. Like, right, right. Mm, well, and it's like I think that Gannon's team kind of sees it as like GHB is the that's that's the bridge, right? Like right. that's that's how you get somebody to a point where I guess that's true. They're like immobilized so that you can take advantage. But still, it's like I don't know. Like what's easy? What's you know? It's like you want to go after somebody who's like easy to manipulate mm-hmm. um, because even like you go after a, like a big athletic college student like right. i don't know you just need you need some strength to be able to like move their body around sure. and stuff or you need another person yeah you ever been around one of these pro athletes they're fucking they're huge they're fucking mate they're fucking they're hunky huge. dudes or hunks i hunks went to mate hunks of mate i went to ohio state i mean yeah. i saw some of these athletes and these athletes like you were friends with one of them weren't you one of the d linemen or some shit like signed your breasts what, what happened <laughs> You got him to sign a football or your tits or something? What? No, I don't, I don't know. know. You had that. a story like that. Oh wow! I probably. Or you saw him that. in the lunch hall? Uh, well, I saw. Let's see. I saw Troy Smith in uh, a dining facility once. That's the story. I, I had a class with uh, John Tell Lavender, AJ Hawk. Uh, I went. I stormed the field one year and got to pat AJ Hawk on the shoulder, uh, and I told him good game. And he and said, I "Shut the he, fuck up." I think he really appreciated it. AJ, if you're listening, if you if you and Pat McAfee are listening right now, do you remember me? Um, fuck you, Pat McAfee. Oh, Pat! Quit sucking Aaron Rodgers' dick and quit having him on your stupid uh, show. <laughs> um, let's Fair see. sock. <laughs> yeah, those are my stories. So, but I mean, I, you know, I've seen these people. Wow, thanks, are, Andy. I was thinking about quitting football forever, but then you patted me on the shoulder and said, great game. We just had a huge win when we weren't expected to. And I was really thinking about giving up football, but I'm so glad that you encouraged me to keep doing it and have a pro career <laughs> by saying, good game. Yes, you're welcome, Andy Hawks. It's me, Andy Hawks, in college. AJ, great game, dude. <laughs> Woo! Then your toga falls off. I just imagine you always wearing a toga. In college, I did, yeah. Oh, my God. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's like... These are humongous people. They're fucking massive. I mean, I know not every athlete no. is humongous, but, like, come on. I mean, I, mean, they I live really... down the hall from a lacrosse player, and, right. like, they're not... No. It's, not, it's not the like... same. Like, it's not, like... Being eight feet tall is not mm-hmm. like as big a benefit in lacrosse. As no, as you, you just, you tend to be very muscular in your legs. Yeah, this guy was like beefed. Right. Beefed um, up. I mean, they, yeah, but they're, they're usually normal. But then you're, you're, you're making a good point, Andy. It's like, yes, but like if you're drugging and trying to kidnap like adult men, not adult men, but young adult men, even in the drunken set, yes, you need strength to like pull them around and jostle them. They're heavy. They're big, heavy people. Especially if they're like unconscious, like right. it's just dead weight. Then that being said, I mean, like you know, there's a lot of weird. There are a lot of weird inconsistencies with some of these. Like where I mean, it's like with the McNeil one. It kind of seems like yeah, maybe he did get fucking murdered. Yeah, like oh, there's no doubt about it. Like where did these fucking burn marks? Come I don't from? mean there's no doubt about it that he got murdered, but there's no doubt that a lot of these are suspicious. And I do think that Gannon and his team probably do a good job of like. Keeping police honest. Right, sure. But 
Then you get into a little family thing. I think they like, went, I think they get, you know, they get too close to the families. Mm. So they're, they're trying to find something because they're making a promise to the family. And how right. hard would it be to go back to the family and be like, no, never mind. Your kid was a drunk. Like if right. you, if you keep it impartial to begin with, like that's a much easier conversation to have. Cause you can just say like, we, we pretty much agree with what the official response was and here's why. Right. Um, so I don't know. It, it, I think that they went too far almost in proclaiming that this is some coordinated effort. Cause this is a lot like missing four one one in the sense that I feel like David Politis is pointing out that there are probably some people who did disappear under more suspicious circumstances and there yeah. should be more investigative work done and, you know, pointing out flaws in the way that we respond to missing persons reports in the wild parts of the country. But at the same time, it's like, it's also hard. Yeah. Is it necessarily like a coordinated effort or something? Everything's right. the same, like probably not, but, and, and there's the, always the thing of resources. Yeah. You know, like, especially sometimes with these, the missing four one cases, it's like, we covered the one where it's like, there's like one person who works yeah. in that whole fucking forest. Right. And they're like a volunteer. And they're like, they go missing. Like, what am I supposed to do? I, I can't spend the rest of my life looking for that person. I'm right, sorry. Right, trying to find one person in like, I can't you get lost acres. out there. The animals eat you. You're gone. Like, I don't yeah. want to tell you. It's like, it's like, it's shitty, but it's true. Yeah. And, um, it could be a similar thing with one of these cases where it's like, yeah, okay. Stumbling home drunk. Uh, you, you cross the bridge over the river to go home. Some, but he comes up and tries to mug you. You get into an altercation. They throw you off the bridge accidentally or something. I don't know. Well, you know, I think one thing too is that, you know, there's a, there's a disconnect for me in some of the logic, especially with respect to GHB. Because for Gannon's purposes, you know, what he sees happening is that these college kids go out, uh, these, these college students, they're going out, they're partying, they're drinking. There are places where, you know, like the behavior, intoxicated type of behavior. Sure. Wouldn't be unusual. And so, you know, to him, the killers are targeting those types of situations because they can slip GHB in a drink. Uh, that's the, that's like a very common way to get GHB into somebody is slip it in a drink. Right. It's a roofie, right? Yeah. And that the behavior afterwards won't be suspicious at all people right. were just like oh my god he drank so much oh he's so drunk dude he had all those fireball whiskey shots and then that Two like for leads, one that leads into like you know the whole thing but it kind of ignores the fact to me like the fact that these you know they say then oh they had ghb in their system maybe more than what we even know had ghb in their system and sure but that doesn't mean that they were drugged against their will GHB is also a party drug. Whoa. As we said. Yeah. In Missing 411, like people, people take it. It's a party drug. Like mm -hmm. you could take GHB just to have a good time. Uh, so there's not, you know, it's not necessarily that all these guys got GHB in their systems against their will. They may have taken it willingly. True. And there's no real, I don't, I don't know. I never, I guess you never really feel like. Gannon gets to that level where it's just automatically assumed that if there's GHB in the person's system, that they were drugged rather mm -hmm. than they took the drug willingly to party. You know, 
Yeah, if you're going out, doesn't matter who you are. You should just stick with your group, stick with your crew, leave as a group. Make sure there's always some fucking dork like me in the party who's like, hey, do we have everybody? Yeah. <laughs> we have a, Hey, so-and-so is, is over there, blah, blah, blah. Let's make sure we wait for them. Good that you're there, babysitter. Yeah, yeah you're welcome, everybody, for always being the designated whatever, the designated dork. Yeah, the double D designated dork. You're welcome that I exist. Um, no, but you should. Like, you should be, even if you're like, well, I'll walk home alone. Like, you know, it, 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 in college, it's like we, you know, always walked home in a group or didn't, wouldn't let people walk home alone. Someone would always go with you. It's even, honestly even in, even in Even in the areas where we have lived in the city, you know, I've I've gone home at like two, three in the morning before. And it's like, I should not fucking be doing this. This is fucking stupid. Like nothing bad to steal a how I met your mother joke. It's like, what is it? It's like nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m. Like, it's like, yes, this is when stuff happens. Right. A dude walking alone, dark street, uh, in the middle of the night. I mean, yes, I'm only walking a couple blocks between apartments, but like, you know, yeah, you no, should not be doing these things. And then, you have people who do, they're like, oh, well, I just cut through the alley. And it's like, oh, my God, why? At least I'm staying on the public street so I could, like, if something were to happen, you could try to yell. Maybe someone will pass by. Maybe. Yeah. But in the alleys? Good. Good Lord. Yeah. I, so you have people maybe taking back routes in the, I don't know these cities. I don't know what this bridge in Pittsburgh is like, if that's a fucking bridge that you shouldn't be walking across or He's cutting through alleys. The one dude went into an alley and was never seen again. Yeah, that was uh, that was that was Dakota James. That was Dakota James. Yeah, Miss Shelley, Shelley, Shelley. You know, I got to say one thing. This you reminded me of this with Patrick McNeil. Yeah. So, but one of the big things with with Gannon's like case about Patrick McNeil was probably abducted is how could he have gotten to the East River by himself? Mm-hmm. And he points out that. FDR drive runs between where Patrick was and where the East river is. Sure. And so he would have had to cross FDR drive. Well, I'll admit I've never been to this specific part of New York city. Like there's New York city. Good Lord. But I'll tell you, I looked it up on a map cause I wanted to get a feel for like this part of those. Yeah. You know, so looking like where exactly was the dapper dog and like what his path would have been. Yeah. So FDR drive goes underground mm-hmm. um, around. Let's see. Patrick went at like 90th street. I think it's like it goes underground at like, I don't know, 89th, 87th or something like that. Um, And I think I'm I think I'm giving the right coordinates. But anyway, it goes underground and it goes underneath a park. Okay. The park has sidewalks that like connect, you know, like you can walk from the street to the park. So it's not like he could have walked into the park and then the park abuts the East river. Like FDR drive goes under the park. Mm -hmm. So the park like overlooks the river. Why couldn't he have just like walked another block or two South walked into the park and then fallen into the river. Hmm. Like, I don't think FDR drive is as big of, a barrier as they're making it out to be in that case. True. Even I mean, though it's New York city, you can, you can get somewhere. Yeah. And you can walk it. 
Yeah, even though I, you know, like I, I do think there's a little bit of suspicion there because of the sure. condition of the body, but, um, yeah, I mean, excuse me, um, I don't know, Andy. I mean, I, I think, I think we've kind of hinted at some of our verdicts here. <laughs> what exactly are we verdictizing? I guess we got to ver- make a verdict on like, is the smiley, is this the killers? Is this a thing? Yeah. Are there is there a, a group of is there a coordinated killers? group of serial killers murdering uh, young men in the Midwest and Northeast? All right. All right. Time to get out my old verdict dong here. All right. Let's see. Okay. So that being the thing that we're making a verdict on. I'm giving this, I'm going to give it plausible minus minus. Okay. Because I really just don't think that Gannon and team have done a good job supporting this coordinated effort of killers to make these things happen. I do think that they have brought up a lot of inconsistencies and they've probably identified plenty of cases where police probably actually should reopen investigations because there's a lot of suspicious stuff happening. That said, I think probably most of the stuff that they find is not inconsistent with accidental drownings, that they're just kind of like cherry picking evidence and ignoring things that make it, you know, not seem like it's connected or, right. you know, they're looking at it with a lens to connect it to this theory when maybe it just naturally doesn't fit. Um, but I do feel like feels a lot like Charlie when he's ranting about Pepe Silvia. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, this is a very (laughs) Pepe Silvia moment. Right. But I do feel like they probably are finding some things that are probably like either close to homicides or at least pretty suspicious. Sure. Um, I'd agree with that. And, and, you know, like identifying times when the police didn't do a very good job investigating, um, a drowning death. And that's valuable. That has value. Um, it's just in this particular thing, like I'm not super sold on it just because there's not a lot of evidence to support it. Like they found a lot of cases, but they found really like they're looking for that missing link still, I think. Like right. this thing that actually this physical piece of evidence that ties this like gang together. How many, I mean, do, do a lot of killers leave calling cards? Any like serial killers that even come to mind who are like, this is my calling card. Uh, well, there was the happy face killer, which this gets confused a lot with the smiley face gang, mm. the happy face killer. Um, I can't remember his name, but that was like his thing is he wrote taunting letters to the police and like, sure, you got them Zodiac. Yeah. yeah. So serial killers, I think do, uh, in a lot of ways, leave a calling card or, you know, if nothing else, they keep like, you know, they have like mementos for themselves. They're sure. like kind of sentimental people, I guess, but you know, a profiler, for the FBI, former profiler for the FBI, like reviewed some of this evidence um, for the smiley face gang and really said like nothing about it fits the profile of a serial killer. Right. Like none of these deaths have like hallmark telltale signs of being the involvement of a serial killer. So if it is a serial killer, it's somebody who's really good at like avoiding looking like a serial killer. Yeah. Um, no, I think I agree with you. I'm, I'm also plausible minus minus for the exact same reasons. I think a wow, lesser of these... Um, the plethora, uh, there's a plethora of these that are, um, obviously, yes, probably murders or homicides or need to be looked into a second time. Um, very suspicious, very sus stuff happening here. And, uh, but the, the idea again of a just coordinated 
effort by a group of serial killers who hate chads. These are a group of virgins, I guess, who hate the chads. They're right. sick of Chad always getting the Stacy. It's just not sick of Chad always getting the Shelly. No, the Shelly. Um, no, it just doesn't. That's just not lining up to, for me. This is. I feel much more in line with. Yes, okay, maybe these were one-off murders or an instance of somebody unfortunately either purposefully using GHB or accidentally drinking a roofie drink, stumbling, or, you know, yeah, like stumbling home, drunk, alone, and then someone, some criminal decides, oh, let's take advantage of these people, let's do something, let's whatever. You never know. There's a lot of people, especially in New York. There's a lot of just fucking people out there. Yeah. Someone sure. could just be looking for a fucking fight. Yeah. And then you're a <laughs> drunk, big dude. Like, that's a legit thing. Like, people see a big dude and they're just like, I want to fucking fight that guy. Like, yeah. It's just like, you might do nothing. Right. So, um, you know. Very and, true. And uh, it, you never know. Someone could just be looking to fucking pick a bone with you. And you're looking like you're inebriated and it could be an easy win so you're looking kind of dumb with your finger and your thumb in the shape of an l on your forehead that's right andy spoken like a true all-star um but hey bunk funkers those were our verdicts let us know what do you think use the hashtag i think it's got to be hashtag piss Let's see what else comes up when we uh, use that. I have a feeling we've used that one before, but uh, let's see. No, no, no. This is it. It's decreed. This is hashtag piss. It's been written down. It's not being changed. (laughs) Um, Hashtag piss. Let us know what you think about the smiley face killers. Email us, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at mrbunkerpod. YouTube, Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Find our vids on there. Buy some bunker merch. Uh, we got great yeah. bunker merch. We got two different types of t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, mugs, tote bags, stickers, posters galore, car decals. Uh, we got are not available, but we got might be uh, one day. We got window clings. <laughs> yes, get a plush Art and Andy to cling to your window with their suction cup feet. <laughs> um, their suction cup penises. Um. No, find that on MrBunkersConspiracyTime.com forward slash merch. You can also find a link to our Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash MrBunkerPod. If you feel so inclined, you want to support the show, have the means to do so. Gosh, we would appreciate it. Oh my goodness, would we ever. Um, You can get over 30 hours of content, uh, audio content backlogged Ooh. on there of Andy and Art debunked. Oh God, imagine listening to us Some for great hours. I mean, uh, the Frank Lloyd Lights, Frank Roy Frank Lloyd Light. Light. Frank Roy Frank Frank Lloyd Light. Fuck. Frank Lloyd Wright's fucked up life. Frank Lloyd Wright's fucked up life. Great episode. I promise you, you're going to love that one. Uh, You can find that one on there as well as access to the Bunker Discord, Bunker newsletters, behind the scenes content, uh, info about the show and what's going on before anybody else hears about it. And uh, uh, Mr. Bunker's Project Podcast Podcast, a comedy series of uh, weird podcasts that we found with our friend Nick. So check that out. Um, Andy, check it out. Any last words before you stumble home? Oh, no, I can't get going here. Oh, God, I'm feeling a little logy. <sighs> no, I'm good. I think, um, you know, we'll pass out. Give a thanks to King Paul, the peach shitting shark thing, our pal John Hendricks. That's Thank right. Thank you for this topic. This topic. Uh, we'll catch you next time, Bunk Lunkers.
Well, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my Ank. Unka Ank. Unka Ank. <laughs> Go, oh, Sandy Hart. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. Put it in my mind. Tum, tum, tum. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned, just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident. Ah! That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.